morning. It's another beautiful day, and it's uh, a lot more beautiful. We can come together on the Lord's Day and sing songs of praise to Him and worship Him and enjoy our fellowship with one another. So thank you for being here, and if you're visiting, we're certainly delighted to have you uh, with us today. Um, just got news a minute ago that Carol... Uh, Smith was taken to the hospital. Let's uh, keep carrying our prayers. Also found out a minute ago that Laverne Cagle had been in the hospital this week. Just got news also that Paul or Nancy Desmay's mother died this morning. That's Paul's mother-in-law and and Cynthia's grandmother. So let's keep that family in our prayers. But anyway, if you're visiting with us today, we're delighted to have you with us, and we hope you'll come back and visit with us any time you have the opportunity. It's always a blessing to have you with us. For a prayer, I'd like to read a couple of scriptures. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of his hand. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. 
make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing songs to him. Talk of all the wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works, which he has done, his wonders, and the judgments of his mouth. Would you bow with me? Father, we come before you today in awe, realizing, Father, that you are the creator of all things, that you are the Lord of heaven and earth, that you have created us, Father, in your own image, and we thank you, Father, for, for all the works that you have done, all the wonderful and magnificent works that, we do, that you've done. We look out among us out in, in creation. We see your handiwork everywhere. So, Father, we thank you that uh, you have blessed us not only with the uh, creation that speaks of you everywhere in the world, but also of your special revelation, your Bible, that we can look into it and we can come to know you and, and give our lives to you and bow down before you, Father, and worship you in spirit and truth. Thank you for bringing us together today. We pray that we have come with our hearts prepared to receive your word and be able, Father, to worship you in spirit and in truth. As we gather around the table that you have set for us, we pray, Father, that we will remember the great blessings that we have through Christ. He gave his life for us, died, shed his precious blood that we might have the forgiveness of our sins, was resurrected for our justification, and given us the great promise and the great hope that we have of being with you one day in heaven. We pray your blessings upon those that are hurting this morning, those that we mentioned that uh, need your prayers, at this, need your help at this time. So thank you, Father, for, for bringing us here today and help us, Father, to, also to, to rejoice, praise you, and, be, and sing to you with thanksgiving. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Number 210, 210, 210. Melody that he gave to me within. 
Psalm encouragement this morning, 702. And once you have that mark, let's turn to number 732. 732. This will be the song before prayer and the lesson this morning. If you feel like it and you're able, please stand and remain standing for the prayer. Number 732. <clears throat> Friend, he met the need of my heart. 
Let's pray. Our, our Heavenly Father, we come to you this time to give you thanks for this day that you've given us. We ask you to be with Josh, who will have a remembrance of what he has studied, and may, may we apply it to our heart. This we ask you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's a good morning to worship together, isn't it? This morning, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Numbers. We will be focusing on chapter 10, but turn with me to the first chapter there in the book of Numbers. What an odd place to preach from, I think, sometimes, <laughs> whenever we're going through the Old Testament, but I love it. And in case you all haven't been able to tell, I really do love preaching through the Old Testament. It's, it's awesome. I love it. We're reading through the Bible in a year, and later this week, I think tomorrow in our reading, we get into Numbers. Later this week, we'll read Numbers 10. And so you'll read everything up to that point. But we have just gotten our law in Leviticus. We've just been given the details of how to worship, how to do this sacrifice, how to have this feast, and priests are supposed to do that thing. And here we get to Numbers. And do you know why it's called Numbers? I mean, I think Numbers, and I think this might be one of the most boring ones, but it's actually got a whole lot in it of story and a lot of lessons for you and I to apply. The book of Numbers is called Numbers because they took a numbering, they took a census twice of God's people. Now we've got our law, and now we need to count how many we are. Look there in chapter 1, verse 2. 
God telling Moses, he said, take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names. Watch this, though. Every male, head by head. So we're not counting everybody. We're counting the men, but not just the men. Watch this, verse 3. From 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war. So we're counting only the men who are 20 years old and up. You look over in verse 46 of the same chapter, chapter 1. Verse 46, all those listed were 603,550. That's a lot, isn't it? But that's just the 20-year-old males and up. So think about, okay, and equal parts of women as well. And we've just doubled it. But then also realize verse 47, they didn't number the Levites either. But the Levites were not listed along with them by their ancestral tribes. So we left out the women in the number. We left out the Levites. And we also left out any uh, children and males that were below 20 years of age. And so I'm going to take a guess, okay, it is a guesstimated, it's an educated guess, that we're somewhere as a nation, 1.5 million to 2 million. And as a preacher, I like to round up numbers, so I'm going to say 2 million. But just know that that's at least where we're at if all the families have at least more than two kids, which they likely do. That's a lot of people, isn't it? And that's the first numbering, why we get it called numbers. The second numbering is going to be in chapter 26. Why is there a second one? Well, the story of numbers as it goes on. Here we are, we just took a census, and we're about to march our way to the promised land. We're departing from Sinai. We've got our Ten Commandments. We've got our law. It's time to go get our promised land, the land that's flowing with milk and honey. That's what we're doing. But we get to the edge of the promised land. We send spies in, and they bring a bad report back, except for Joshua and uh, Caleb. They bring a good report saying, we can beat them, we can do it, but the contagious fear that's there sets in, and they refuse. This generation refuses to go into the promised land. That's why God had them wander for 40 years. The older generation there dies off, the new generation is raised up in faithfulness and they are numbered again. And then we go into the promised land and we win. But that's the story of numbers in a nutshell as we look at it. So how do you move? How do you organize two million people at one time? You ain't got a bell. You don't have a PA system. You can't call and text one another or walkie-talkies and say, hey, we're moving out. And, you know, I've been to Dallas Cowboy Stadium one time. I know there's not a million people in there. I don't know how many, but that is the most people I've ever seen at one time. And we had to stand in order to see the game, in order to see what's going on. And you could not communicate in there at all, even with the PA system, it would seem. How do you move two million people? Numbers chapter 10. And here in Numbers chapter 10, we're going to see a big Old Testament teaching, a principle really, that plays a part for you and I today. But a big point I already see is about organization of God's people. And so anybody really here with organization skills, we need you to step forward. Not just because we're in desperate need or anything like that, but we always need to be organized. Any group of people, especially God's people, who are wanting to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish, we need people to step up and say, this is the way we're going, this is how we're going to get there, instead of just twiddling our thumbs and sitting around and waiting for something to happen. We'll have a meeting about it, we'll talk about it later, we'll figure it out. No, no, no. We need a clear sense of direction and how to get there. And if you're someone that can lead at various times and ways, you are needed. Fair warning, you will be criticized. Any leader always is. 
And so why is that? Well, some will say, who are you to lead? Who are you to make these decisions? Who are you to do that? I heard a preacher say once, and it's going to stick with me forever. Either lead, follow, or get out of the way. And that makes a whole lot of sense when we think about it. Lead, follow, or get out of the way and not create a problem for God's people, for those that do have the courage to lead or those that do have the humility to follow. Because at some point, we're all going to be leading in some way. At some point, we're all going to be following in some way. We need the courage to lead. We need the humility to lead. But we do not need the critics to get in the way and discourage us from doing that. I found myself to be a critic before. I'm preaching to myself. You guys are just here, okay? And so lead, follow, or get out of the way. Because I can't, I shouldn't just do nothing, grab hold of nothing to do except be a critic. God's people, we are on the move, or we need to be. And we have a mission. We have the great commission to accomplish. And we can't accomplish that just sitting around. But we have got to be organized and we've got to move. Here in Numbers chapter 10, verse 1. How does God move his people? Watch this. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets. Of hammered work, you shall make them. Very specific, not just any way, not just any instrument, and not just made out of any material, but two silver trumpets, crafted special and for a special purpose. Look back with me in Exodus chapter 31. God cares about the details. This is something that we read, we didn't cover in the sermon, but that we have read. Everything that they have built was supposed to be made a specific way regarding the tabernacle, the altar, the priestly garments. But watch how God does this. I think this is so cool. You think the Holy Spirit was just active in the New Testament? You're wrong. Exodus chapter 31, verse 2. God said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. Isn't that cool? We think of God filling somebody and empowering somebody to do, you know, the miracles in the New Testament. But here he is empowering his people to make the things they were required to make the way that God wanted them to be made. This was no light subject. This was no light thing for them to do, but it needed to be done right. Verse 4, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and in carving of wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach, the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it. He's talking the ark of the covenant there, and he's talking about the tabernacle, every detail of the tabernacle, and every detail that's inside from the plates to the lamp to the bread to everything the curtains they were empowered by God to make a certain way you think God cares about details yeah that's that's the easy answer right there yeah God cares about details God cares if we do it his way or not we talked about that last week sanctifying God and being sanctified by keeping his word and so yeah God cares but look in chapter 10 again in numbers Numbers 2, continuing on. You shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking camp. And when both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. 
But if they blow only one, then the chiefs and the head of the tribes of Israel shall gather themselves to you. When you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side shall set out. When you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown whenever they are to set out. How do we know when it's time to come together to worship? There's no bell. There's nothing else. But this is how. How do we know when it's time to move? Later, he'll talk about also. How do we know when an enemy is coming to attack us? And how do we get ready? It's with these. And the priest, he'll go on to say here, the Levites, the priests, are the ones that are doing the trumpet bearing. But boy, we need a distinct trumpet sound then, don't we? So we know what in the world is going on. Not just any kind of sound, not just anyone that can, that can blow into it. We need someone that knows what they're doing, that blows it well enough to know that we all know what it means. And now... You and I better understand our New Testament. Specifically, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Boy, there's some problems in Corinth, let me tell you. But let me just tell you about one of them. At this stage, a lot of the members of the church there have been empowered with miraculous gifts that the Holy Spirit imparted to them when the apostles laid hands on them. That's how anybody other than the apostles got a miraculous gift. And so here they have different uh, gifts, such as prophecy, such as knowledge. And the big one that's about to be talked about is speaking in tongues. And all of these gifts actually were told to them in chapter 13, the gifts are going to cease. In your time, the gifts are going to go away. Nobody has these gifts today. And 1 Corinthians proves it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, by the way, I know I said 14, but 13 is a good place to start too. That's, That's the section that was written by Paul for us to read at weddings, wasn't it? (laughs) love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or does not boast, right? No, he, he didn't write that so that we could just say something nice at a wedding, did he? He wrote that because there was no love. He wrote that because all these people were fighting over their gifts and seeing who was better, who was to be built up the highest, who had the most important role. But Paul is saying, it's all equal. What you're trying to do, what you should be trying to do is glorifying God and bring the unknowing to Christ to prove that this message is from God. In chapter 13, verse 4, is when he says the love is patient, love is kind. But verse 8, he says love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. When, verse 10, when the perfect comes, the partial will will pass away. He's not talking about the perfect in terms of a person. He's not talking about when Jesus comes back. The perfect he's talking about is maturity in the church. When you as the Corinthians finally mature and have everything that you need to grow as the church, you no longer need the gifts because they weren't for you to make a spectacle out of, yet that's what they're doing. And they're fighting, and some are arguing that they have the gift of speaking in tongues when they don't. That's chapter 14. Look in verse 6. Verse 6 of chapter 14, he says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If I don't bring something that you can understand, what's the point of speaking in tongues, he's saying? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the trumpet gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? You see how this ties back to Numbers chapter 10 now? We understand what the trumpet's for. The trumpet is to move God's people, right? The trumpet is to warn God's people and tell them we're going this way and doing that. 
And so when he's saying in your teaching, the teaching needs to be distinct and clear as well. Verse 9, so with yourselves and with your tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible. How will anyone know what is said? You're speaking into the air. (laughs) It does no good to just mumble jitterish, mutter gibberish. And you know, if I came up here and I started speaking to you in gibberish, or if I started speaking to you in German, anyone here know German? (laughs) What good is that going to do any of us? It's just going to be showy for me. That's all that's about. It's me puffing smoke, speaking into the air. And he goes on to say that it's not for for the uh, believers that this is for. Look at verse 22. There it is. Thus tongues are not a sign for believers. Oh, so they're not just for us to have a good time and say, look how great we are. But for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. All the signs, all the miracles had one purpose, to prove that what we are preaching is truly from God. No other point. Hebrews chapter 2 will tell us that very same thing, that God attested to His Word by wonder, sign, and miracles. All the miracles Jesus did, Jesus didn't come to sensationalize people into, into the kingdom. The apostles didn't try to sensationalize people. It was to draw them in, yes, but to say that this is not from man. This has to be from God. And so what he's saying here, that we can make the New Testament correlation and application, is that if you teach, if you preach, it needs to be distinct and clear. He is giving emphasis here more on not the preacher, but on the preached. When I am looking for God's Word, I'm not looking for a preacher that I like. I'm not looking for a teacher that I like. I'm looking, if I can understand, the Word of God being taught in the place that I'm at. There are too many people in this world. We cherry pick. We kind of pick where we want to go worship based off of, typically, preacher or songs sometimes. And, you know... That starts getting us into a downward slope whenever we start following man more than God, isn't it? And Paul would speak against that at the very first part of this book, in fact, in chapter 1, saying, I'm thankful I didn't baptize any of you so that you couldn't say that I follow Paul because they were saying, I follow Peter, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. But he's saying, you're supposed to be following Christ. He may not be the most eloquent. Lord knows I'm not. He may not be the most eloquent speaker. But if he's speaking truth then that's what we want. And you know what? Why does, why does the speaker, whoever it might be, need to be speaking clear and distinct? Well, because I need to understand the truth that's going to set me free, as Jesus says in Acts chapter, sorry, John 8, 32. The truth that will set us free. I need to understand clearly that truth, don't I? I need to understand the truth about Him. I need to understand the truth about how to be in Him and remain in Him. But not only that, we ought to be teaching and preaching in a way that's clear so that the listener can go and teach it themselves. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, To commit this to faithful men who are able to teach it also. That's the point of what we're doing. I've said from day one, or I've tried to make it clear, that my goal here is to work myself out of a job. I would love it if every man here is chomping at the bit to get up and preach and teach. I will know that my work is done. I will know that I have done something productive for the kingdom if we are raising up preachers and teachers as God wants us to, as God has called us all to actually be teaching and preaching for Him, heralding for Him. And then at that point, 
well, maybe I can just sit back and enjoy a sermon, or maybe we can, uh, you know, get sent off to somewhere else and do another work. That's actually how Paul and Barnabas ended up on their first missionary journey. They had so many teachers, and they had so many speakers and capable men that they said, you know what, there's people over here that don't have any. Let's send some of who we have. And they were sent. Isn't that cool to think about? If we all were heeding the warning of God, listening to God, blowing His trumpet through His Word, to say, this is what I want you to know. This is how we move forward as a people. We are not meant to be stagnant. We are not meant to stay at one spot in our faith. You know, people think that faith is a start-stop instance when I became a Christian, but no, faith is ongoing and faith is on-growing. If I'm stagnant, I'm wrong. I need to be growing. I need to keep moving forward. And how does God move His people? With His Word. With a clear, distinct message. I'm back over in Numbers 10 for now. We'll come back to the New Testament in just a second. But Numbers 10, he goes on. Verse 8. He says, and the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall blow the trumpets. Specific trumpets, specific people, and specific signals. The trumpets shall be to you a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And when you go to war in the land against your adversary who oppresses you. I love verse 9. We're in verse 9. Y'all there? Then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets. And here's where I underlined. That you may be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. When I do it God's way, God is taking care as I follow that way. He's taking care of me. He's taking care of us. When I follow the way that God has already set forth, the path is already laid. I just got to have the humility to follow and say that His way has got to be better than my way. God is going to take care of whatever opposition is in front of me. It doesn't mean He's going to remove it, but it means He's going to win. And he's going to use me to win. It means that we as God's people are going to be able to conquer. There are six distinct blows here. Six distinct signals through verse 10. To gather for assembly, breaking camp, gather for the tabernacle, heads of the tribes to gather, an alarm for fighting, a warning of enemies, feast and offerings, and all of this. God's trumpet here is to warn and to signal God's people and to direct And we've already seen a bit of the application, but look over with me in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Excuse me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. You know, God has used this picture of the trumpet throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament to talk about warnings and to talk about signals. And you know, especially, it makes a whole lot more sense when we study Revelation now. With the tenth uh, signal, with the tenth Uh, seal being unsealed, the ten trumpets that are there, everybody under the sun almost disagrees on all the meanings of Revelation, more or less, in in the commentators. But there's not a one of them that I found that say that the trumpets are anything other than a signal. It's a warning. And so it's this picture that God uses for His people and to draw in people that aren't His own as well, hopefully to be His. But Colossians 1.28, you there? He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Warning everyone, teaching everyone, Christians and non-Christians alike. How do we warn? We warn with the Word. Wake, warn, and warm with the Word. When God's Word is read or taught, the trumpet is being blown to wake us up and say, where are you? 
in relationship to God? Or, where are you in your walk as a Christian? Where can we do better? Where can we improve? How do we move from here? The Word warns us of the enemy that is on the prowl seeking to defeat us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says what? Be sober. Be at it. Watchful. Your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But you know what? The Word also equips us to deal with the enemy. To stay steadfast in the faith. To remain standing firm in Him. Strong and courageous, as He'll tell His people as they enter into the promised land in Joshua chapter 1. How does all this work? God's goal is not just to save you, by the way. It's also to grow you to look and be more and more in the image of Jesus. I see the way I need to go. And God's word tells me how to get there. He's signaling for me to get out of the world and to get in him. And once I'm in him, he's signaling me forward to him, closer into his likeness. How does God get his people moving? Organization, a clear message, and you've got to have the tenacity. You've got to have the want to, the knuckle down and get to work as well, and move when he says to move. One more verse, 1 Corinthians again, chapter 15. We were in 14, now we're looking 15. On the subject of trumpets, I really love this verse. I hope you will too. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 52. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet shall sound. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. What he's saying here, and what he's already told us a time or two before, and will tell us again in Second Corinthians, is you and I, whenever he comes, he's coming with the sound of a trumpet. It's going to be clear and unmistakable that he's here, that he has come back. And those of us that are in Christ will be caught up in the air to meet him. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But here also he's saying that you're going to be made new. You're going to be changed. And some of us with creaky old joints right now, I got one. I'm thinking, yes, (laughs) new, new body. I'm going to be glorified and be with him for eternity. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, except for the good ones when we see those that have gone on before us. No more crying except for the happy tears. Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. You will be made fully into his likeness. The goal that we're aiming for, he will glorify you and perfect it at that time. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And in the end, I'm either going to be found shaking and more fearful and more depressed when I hear the trumpet sound than I've ever been in any other instance in my life. Or I'm just going to be smiling and beaming and so excited. I finally get to see in Jesus. I finally get to see him. I finally get to be with him. That's what you and I are working for and towards. That's our hope. Not a wish. Hope is not a wish. It's not a desire. Hope is a confident expectation defined by God. We know what result we get to have. And you know what? I get to pick the road that I'm on right now. 
I get to pick the ending that I want. How many of y'all have ever thought about that? You're reading a book and you don't know which way it's going to go, especially a mystery novel or something like that. You don't know how it's going to end. But I know how this one's going to end. It ain't no mystery anymore. I know what's going to happen if I'm on this path or on that path. And it all has to do, if I'm listening or not, to God blowing his trumpet. The trumpet is how God moved his people, and it's still how he is moving and working his people through his word. He's signaling to you and I, get out of the world and get in him. And so, with his word... We need His Word distinctly taught and preached, not with an emphasis on the preacher, but on the preached, on the message, so that I can know distinctly and clearly what the trumpet is sounding and what it means, and so I can move forward to understand it. That's our goal, and that's what we want. Anytime God's Word is read, the trumpet has been blown, you could say. Not the final trumpet yet, but we're waiting for that any time. And it can be any time. I've prayed sometimes, maybe you have before. God, today would be a good day. (laughs) Today sounds like a good day to be called up and go home. And I hope that you agree. If you don't agree, then maybe you have an understanding of your relationship where you are in terms of your relationship with God. And if you're not ready for that day, we got to get moving. We got to listen to God's signal. We got to listen to the call and get moving. There's nothing left to do other than to start. You know the best way to start? It's to start. And so this morning, if you need help moving from where you are to more into Him, let us know as we stand together and sing.
Trey's mother, as many of us know, has been in the hospital suffering with heart problems, other issues that have been causing a problem. And many of us also know that physical issues like that can try to weigh us down spiritually and try to weigh our family down spiritually. And so he's asking for prayers for him and his walk and also for his mother as well because of everything that's going on. And this is a time for you and I to continually keep them in our prayers, give them words of encouragement, and be present with them. But let's say a prayer for them right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the heart that Trey has and for the heart that his mother, LaMonica, has. Thank you for them being your servants. And God, help them to keep on the straight and narrow in you and to fight against the battles that the world tries to hurl and that Satan tries to use as stumbling blocks from physical issues to, to spiritual discouragement and help us to be the family they need to embrace them and to encourage them. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You would turn to number 370, 370-370. We'll sing this in preparation for the Lord's Supper. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we come together to partake of this bread that represents your son's body that was broken on the cross. Be with all of us that take this, that uh, we will take it in a manner well pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the day and many blessings. We're especially thankful, Father, for this time we have together around the table this morning. Father, we pray as we take this fruit of the white through the vine that represents your son's blood that was so freely shed on the cross for our sins that we remove all worldly thoughts and focus upon that great sacrifice on, for our behalf. In Christ's name, amen.
That completes the Lord's Supper. Now we have the opportunity and the command to lay by and store as we've been prospered. If you'll bear, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this time we can come and celebrate uh, around the table and then have the opportunity to give back as we've been prospered, as we have our heart set on things that we need to uh, have for the, the contribution to give to the church and to spread the gospel throughout the community and throughout the world to save lost souls. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent thought to take with you as we're fixing to leave this place and go out to the world. 724. <clears throat> Soon, first and last. 